book of Romans chapter 11, because we're going to be picking back up where we left off uh, last week. Now we're going to be completing the second part of Romans. It's broken up into three parts. We just took our, the second part, which were chapters 9, 10, and 11, and today we will take chapter 11 to finish that up. And the, the second part of the book of Romans is all around the problems of salvation. And we saw in chapter 9 that Paul points to God's past workings with Israel and highlights God's sovereignty or sovereignty of God. And that he knows all things, he's all things, he's everywhere, and everything is in his control and nothing slides past him. Nothing. He even knows the thoughts of your and my thoughts before we even know our thoughts. He's so sovereign. And, but he's in control of the nation of Israel, as we'll see in this, uh, this, this, this thread and continue theme around Israel that obviously points to and directs as us as individuals as well. And in chapter 10, Paul deals with the, uh, God's present workings with Israel. And we saw last week it was around man's responsibility or response to God's love. And we see how... They, man's responsibility, and in this case, Israel's response, and their response to Jesus the Messiah was to of rejection, not to response of, of, uh, of a response of acceptance, but rejection of Jesus himself as the Messiah. And so it's man's responsibility, and there's a coin there of life. There's a coin of life, your life. There's God's sovereignty working in your life, but on the other side of that coin, it's your responsibility if you're going to respond to God and how he works with you. And in this case, this, um, salvation. He's, given, he's died on the cross for your sins. That's his work. Our response, a man's responsibility is do we respond and accept his work on the cross for your sins? That's man's responsibility. That's your responsibility if you want to respond as a free gift of choice to receive that gift from him. Now today we're going to see in chapter 11, today we come to God's future for Israel and he's going to highlight his faithfulness to his people, his faithfulness to you and I as we see that in regards to the nation of Israel. And it's so true to us as well that when you've made that decision, man's responsibility, to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then he is going to be faithful regardless of how you feel, regardless of the situations you find yourself in on a day-to-day -day basis or month-to-month to year-to-year -month -year of uncertainty. We know in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he's going to be faithful in your life once you've made that decision to follow Jesus. He is faithful to bring you into eternity into his loving arms. And you do not have to have a fear of that, of the what-ifs and uncertainties that will come your way. And we will see today very clearly of his faithfulness to Israel. Even though Israel has reject, rejected Jesus as the Messiah, we're going to see God's sovereign plan of how he's going to come back full circle and bring the Jewish, uh, the Jewish nation back to where he wanted it to begin with. And we will see his faithfulness, faithfulness to bring them back to him. So Romans chapter 11, verse 1. And we talk here in the very beginning here of God's future for Israel and the remnant of grace. And we see here in just the very first part of verse 1, it says, I say then, as has God cast away his people? Certainly not. So we see right in the very beginning, Paul is anticipating, the Holy Spirit is giving Paul the understanding and the wisdom and knowing what would be the natural response from the people reading his letter those Jewish believers, those, those Gentile believers, and he's going to speak to them about, oh, God is for us. He's come to us, the Gentiles. He's offered us salvation, offered us a way into eternity. We never thought we had this hope and a promise in our life, but we do. Does that mean God has given up on Israel because they rejected the Messiah? And Paul makes it very clear, certainly not. Paul's question makes sense because at this point in, in, in Romans, that as Israel has rejected the gospel, 
and how both consistent God's eternal plan, God's sovereignty that we saw in, in chapter 9, and Israel's own choosing or man's responsibility we saw in the end of chapter 9 into chapter 10, does that mean Israel's fate or future has been settled? There is no chance now. If they've rejected it, there's no chance now for Israel to come back to God. And Paul is making it clear, certainly not. It's not. And I'll show you why. And he now lays out for us four witnesses to prove to his readers why God has not given up on the nation of Israel. As much as even today people think God has tossed out Israel and replaced it with the church. That is false teaching. That is not true. And we are going to see very clearly in chapter 11. So if anyone brings that up inside conversation uh, over tea this coming next two months, then bring them back to chapter 11 and let them and share with them the chapter 11. Because uh, as Paul is clearly communicating, you too can clearly communicate what God has uh, in regards to that response. So we see that God has a future for Israel. Was it rejection or restoration? And Paul made it very clear, despite the present state that Israel uh, finds itself and found itself at that point in time here, it was not permanently cast away. And then Paul continues in the second part of this. He says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. So he first witness he brings is himself, personal witness. I'm telling you, my testimony is so true it, it, that God is, by his grace, has saved me. I was a Jew. I, matter of fact, killed Christians for them even following Jesus, even thinking about going and leaving the Jewish faith and following this, this Jesus. I killed him, put him in jail. But because of God's grace, he gave me a second chance. He allowed me to, to be seen, and he revealed his light to me. I was blinded even at a point in time. Fell off my horse. He kicked me off my high horse, my pride that was keeping me from coming to Jesus. But I'm so thankful, Paul would say. I'm so thankful that God knocked me off my prideful high horse, thinking I had my life all in control that I already knew everything, had, I had everything planned out. My whole life is just going to go the way I want it to go until Jesus revealed himself to me. Now, is Paul thankful that he revealed himself and not let him die in the sins of his religiosity of the Jewish faith? Of course he's thankful. That's why he's been called and is now being uh, the witness, personal witness to anyone who will hear him. That Jesus is the Messiah, and he's the Savior of the world. Will you believe in him? And all we have to do is simply believe. You can't earn it. You can't do anything for it. It's a free gift. And as we go into the Christmas season, what better place or time to share the free gift that Jesus has for each one of us? You just want to, all you have to do is accept that free gift. But Israel had a, God had a plan for Israel. But Paul reveals as an Israelite the fact that he had come to the faith that Jesus is the Messiah proves that some Jews have been chosen by God and who have embraced the gospel. That there's a remnant. There's, as we will see, there is a, actually a plan that God was going to take the nation of Israel and take a small remnant to be that light to show the rest of the nation and the world who Jesus is. So that you and I can remember today and for them back then as well that whenever we want evidence of God's work, we could and should look to our own life first. That is what Paul did and why he should do it. So anytime it says, is there really Jesus the Messiah? Is he really a savior? Can he save me from my sins? Don't go pointing your fingers to anybody else, but first start like Paul using yourself as a witness. Let me share you with you with my, my testimony. This is where I was in darkness, and now this is my life today. God has done that work. You know my life. You know who I was. And now look at my life today. That's all because of God's grace. And he's willing to do it in your own life personally, if you just let him. Well, Paul doesn't stop there. He says, okay, now let me move on to the next witness that might help you understand. He goes in verse 2. He says, God... 
has not cast away his people from whom he foreknew? Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have, ki- they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars and I, have, I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to, to Baal. Even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So Paul now uses not only himself, but he uses history, Elijah, as an example to these Jewish believers, because they knew who Elijah is as part of their teachings. They knew clearly who and what Elijah did. And so God is sitting here, as Paul reminds them, that God did not cast out his people. He, God knew, foreknew these, these people and what they were going to do. And so Paul knows as a, as a whole Israel had rejected the Messiah, yet God allowed by his grace 7,000 of these Jewish believers to come to faith by grace to be that witness. And he was one of those. So God is not going to allow the nation of Israel to be just completely cast out into hell. He was going to bring a remnant out so that they would eventually over time would bring the nation of Israel back to God. We will see at the end times it's when God is ready to come back and usher back into this world and recreate a new heavens and the earth. And during the time, what we refer to as the time of tribulation, and God will bring his nation back and he will reveal to them what they have uh, they've been blinded to. And we will see that as we continue in this chapter. Notice that Elijah prayed to God against Israel. Because at this point in time in history, the people were coming against God's prophets, against God's, anyone who had spoke anything about God, they were being killed and they were bringing, brought to an end. And Elijah got so frustrated, the fact that people were being wiped out for their faith and their belief, that he was even crying out against Israel and say, how? I'm the only one left here. There's, there's just nothing, no one but me. I, it's like people even today, you know, am I the only faithful one that's showing up to church? Is I'm the only one who's going to do anything around here? Is I'm the only one giving? Am I the only one that even, even talks about God? I mean, people, we can all get caught up in our minds sometimes like that. But that's where Elijah was. And God had to remind him that, no, no, I have, I have reserved for myself, in verse 4, 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to a false god. They haven't given their life to this world, to these false gods. These people have c- completely devoted their life to me uh, as their god. So you may not feel like <laughs> there is anyone else out there uh, that loves God or wants to be a Christian. But there are many out there, you and I, who love the Lord and want to serve our God until he comes and takes us home. Regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we think, God is working today in the lives of the people. Just like he was working during this time historically in Elijah's life, who thought he was just by himself and no one else seemed to do it. It was just a feeling. And God had to remind him, no, I am, I'm in control, and I am doing a work. See, Elijah thought God had cast off the nation. But Paul clearly made it so clear. No, I have made, in fact, made a substantial remnant for my purpose and for my, to bring glory for me in this working. So as we look forward here, we see Paul then goes on in verse 6. He says, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they 
should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. So Paul left this previous verse of the fact that uh, uh, this uh, remnant has been brought about by God, by, the, by his grace. And, he's, and he brings and makes note that this remnant was chosen according to the election of grace. And now he reminds us what grace is. And he says grace is this free gift of God that he's given to, to people. Now did they give, does he give this free gift because they can earn it? Or they have this great potential? Or that he can somehow, if I give this free gift, I'll get something back, like a great gift back from God for doing it? See, grace is giving a free gift with nothing in return. With no expectation that you can earn or to pay God back. Because God, as we will see, will never be a debtor to you and I. Many religions today teach in a way that says you need to come to God and if you come to God you must do the following do's and don'ts to be able to pay back God or earn somehow earn God's love you can't earn God's love he paid the price for your sin fully 100% before you and I even were even born so you can't earn that gift. It's a free gift. It's, I find it very fascinating sometimes during this time of year where you want to just freely give a gift to someone that you want to sh- express your love to. And they immediately go, I need to get you a gift. Uh, hey, I, uh, we'll, get, we'll see you next week, right? Yeah, we'll see you next week. Of course, we see you every week. And sure enough, they rush out because they feel obligated to what? To get a gift. And so that same mentality happens when it comes to making a decision of you're going to receive a gift that God is handing to you. God, you're giving me the gift of salvation. I'm going to be free from all the sins. I'm going to have eternity. I've got to do, I've got to earn that. I've got to, no, no, you don't. You can't. All we do is now is just worship him and thank him and glorify him for this gift of grace that he's given us. We can freely just receive. We can freely just breathe in and out and just love him and spend, want to spend time with him because that's all he wants from his children. The father just wants to spend time with you. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to sit and be still and listen because he has so much to tell you. That's a free gift. That's a wonderful gift, is it not? And so Paul is highlighting grace, you cannot work for it. If you add work to it, then it's not grace. If you work, 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 thinking then you should earn God's grace, then it's not grace. It's just free. And it's all because of what he's done for you and I. God's saving mercy has been extended to Israel. But only some elect have obtained it among Israel at this point in time. The rest that we'll see were hardened for their rejection. Because they heard the good news, they heard about his grace, some chose, yes, I want that for my life. But then there were some who said, no, I reject God. I reject you, Jesus. I don't don't need that in my life. I want to live my life the way it is. I wanted to do it the way I want to do it. So I'm not, going to re- I'm not going to accept you because then that means I have to change and I'm not willing to change. Well, with rejection, we see that the, some of, is, of the Israelites, the Jewish people, became where that God has given them a spirit of, 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 of stupor or um, another way of saying it, it, God has allowed an attitude of deadness towards spiritual things to come in their life. Have you ever met someone where you try to share great news, the love that God has for them, and they reject anything of spiritual value. Like, I don't want to talk about that. 
or I'll talk about God, but just don't talk about Jesus. Or, okay, yeah, you can talk about God and Jesus, but don't talk about salvation and sin and, or heaven. And I just don't, don't want to hear about those spiritual things. That is a, uh, a, a stupor that has come upon them because they keep rejecting Jesus as their, uh, their Savior. And that's what was happening here. And as, 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 as Paul was quoting out of Isaiah 29 and Psalm 69, 69 that these, what happens is this stupor comes along and then it becomes where they can't hear any longer the things of the truth of God. They stop seeing things of God. They, they, they look out into the, even in the creation and they don't see the handiwork of God in creation. They just see, oh, it's a hill. Yeah, there goes another bird. That's fine. But you and I know once you came to Christ and once the Spirit of God comes inside you, you become alive. And all of a sudden, your eyes are no longer dark. They actually see the wonders of creation. Do you ever wonder why someone could take a life of a baby? Because their eyes are darkened. The hearts are hardened. Because anyone in their right mind that can see and hear and watch and see and just a miracle of a baby's birth, you, how can you not but praise God and honor God and glorify him because it's, a, it's such a miracle. You were created in nine parts. Every intricate detail. If only one thing was off, your potassium level drops, your heart stops. Your water level drops, you die. Everything is intricately woven by the handiwork of God Almighty. How could you ignore what God's creation in front of you? Well, we see in the nation of Israel, their eyes were darkened, their ears could not even hear the truth anymore. So when you can't hear the truth, you'll believe lies. Have we not seen that around today's day? Just watch the news. How people believe in the lies. How can they how can they not see that that's a lie? It's because their ears, they cannot hear the truth anymore. Their eyes cannot see the darkness. And so they naturally go to darkness. They naturally go to these things of lies that the world has created and Satan has implemented. And then you've got this contrast, this remnant that's separated from the world or separated from the all these Jews, all of a sudden there's this remnant of 7,000 plus. How do they see the fact that Jesus is the Messiah? It's because they chose to believe. And so they could see the truth. They could hear the truth. They, they weren't falling and walking in darkness of this world any longer. And so as we will see, it's not too late for those who are walking in darkness, who their eyes cannot see or they cannot hear. It's not too late. As long as you're still living, it's not too late to be able to have your eyes opened up and you can see things, as we will see with the nation of Israel. And he says in the first part of 11, verse 8, the first part of it, he says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? So Paul basically is saying right here, quoting of the, out of that Psalm 69, that has, has the, the nation of Israel stumbled so bad that they have fallen away, they have completely permanently fallen away, that there was no hope for the nation of Israel now to, to do that? And he says, no, because there's a difference between stumbling and falling. They're stumbling around in the dark. That doesn't mean they've fallen. It's only a matter of time. They will fall if they do not come to and, and stop and, 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 and accept Jesus. They will eventually fall. But they have only stumbling at this point in time. Because they, didn't, they wouldn't understand through the, even though they had it written right in front of them, they did not understand and wouldn't willing to understand God's purpose and plan for their future. But then he was continued on here in, in, in verse 11. He says, but Paul says, certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches to the for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the 
Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. So Paul is saying here, you know, Israel is stumbling right now in the darkness. But God has called me to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to be the voice of God out to the Gentile. And because Israel has rejected Jesus, that is now opened up as part of God's plan to now spread the good news, the truth, to all of the non-Jewish nation, the Gentiles, all of you and I. Because unless you were born as a Jew, you were, uh, you're part of the Gentiles that is speaking to you here. And so because the nation rejected, he kept a remnant of Jews, of 7,000 aside, to be a light. But then he sent them out to be a light into the Gentile world to give them the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And because they were willing to do that, now because of that, the truth has come to the Gentiles. That was to provoke the rest of the Israel, the nation of Israel, to jealousy. Sometimes that's what God uses sometimes. He will bring a light and bring someone's life and bring it to a level and be so bright that it causes everyone else to go, I want that. I want that in my life. How can, why does it seem like everything's going so great for their life? They seem so happy. They have hope. They have a promise. They have a future. They just seem to have such gladness. And I'm sitting down here and depressed and dark and, and in fear and anxiety fills my life, but they have peace. God lifts you up and God lifts up Israel to bring about a jealousy that people would be drawn to you to want what's in your life. So he raised up the Gentiles so that he they would become light and bring about jealousy to the Israelites so that nation would eventually come to the Gentiles and say, what's going on here? We just accepted Jesus Christ as your Messiah just like it was written in, in your word. You didn't get it. We got it. That is why God called us to be light and salt in this world. As a believer, we're not to be hidden under a basket because he wants to bring up a point of jealousy in those who do not believe yet to look at your life and go, I want that in my life. And they too will then finally say, okay, I surrender my life as well. I'll accept that free gift salvation but not only did Paul use himself as a witness not only did he use the history through Elijah as witness but we see here he also used others or the Gentiles as the third evidence of, of that God has not cast away his people Paul is saying God is still working through a remnant of Israel today as being a light into this fallen world. And it's because and because of that, because of this fall, it has become riches. It's become a value for the world. It's become now a value for the Gentiles. Because of their fa failure, now the Gentiles have hope and a promise of eternity. And then Paul says, as you catch there in verse 13 and 14, I want my life to be such a magnifying aspect, my ministry to be such a bright light of what I'm doing is spreading the good news throughout the countryside that if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, the, those in the nation of Israel, because he was a Jew, and save some of them. Do we have that same passion? Paul does, that you hope through your life that you will just be, your ministry, that God has called you in that workplace, that neighborhood, wherever he has you, that you, your ministry will provoke to jealousy those who are in your area, the people just like you. And then verse 15, he goes, continues, he says, for if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruits 
is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them become a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. So he's speaking directly to the Gentiles. He says, yes, the Jewish rejection of Jesus was made into a blessing for you as Gentiles. It came as a tremendous blessing for you. But consider how great a blessing the Jews will accept of, uh, be accepted when they accept Jesus. What, think about the blessing there. And what the future will be when God blesses them when they finally do accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. But think about this. You're the first fruits as Christians out of this, this, uh, this movement. You Gentiles, you, you're the first fruits. This is incredible what's going on. Because the first fruits was obviously those, those 7,000, I should say, 7,000 Jews. You're the first fruits. You became these dedicated to God and doing the work of God. And the Gentiles were blessed by it. Imagine you as the 7,000, as you multiply and the Gentiles multiply and brings jealousy. Think about what's the blessing that's going to come on the rest of the nation of Israel. These Jews were saved by grace. And their conversion was something holy and good for the church. Imagine. All of the apostles, all the writers that we're seeing in the scriptures were Jews, saved by grace. And God used them in a mighty way for the world. And they were good for the Gentiles. They were certainly good for you and I. Because apart, imagine where we would have been if they didn't have that gift offered to us as Gentiles. But he continues to say some of the branches, that wild olive, on that wild olive tree, which is a picture of the tree and, and branches that we see here, Paul reminds the Gentile Christians that it is only by God's grace that they can be grafted into the tree of God, which is based on the root of which is Israel. So you've got the root, Israel. It brought about the vine. It brought about branches on this tree. That tree produced some fruit, a remnant from the root of Israel. Some of the branches did not accept. They're not, they're not receiving. They, didn't, they are not abiding into the tree. They become dead branches. They, they come cut off. They, become, they fall off. They break off. They're no longer alive. They're no longer attached to this. And they get burned up. They get pushed away potentially if they never come back. And we will see there is hope for those who do. Then he says to them, but you as Gentiles, you're grafted in. You're not the original natural branches. You were taking a branch from a wild one and grafted into this tree. So don't get boastful like you've arrived and you've, you're the savior of the world. Because you're not the root. You're just a branch grafted in. The root is still from the basis of Israel. And so he wanted to make sure as those Gentile Christians understood that they're part of the tree of God because of the original work that God started with the nation of Israel. And so Gentiles, don't become thinking you're superior over the Jews. Paul also reminded them that the root supports the branches. The branches don't support the root. So don't get ahead of yourself and think, pride set in to think you're some more religious. 
because of unbelief, they were broken off. But you Gentiles, you stand by faith. You, you, you held on. You, you haven't walked away from your belief in Jesus Christ. Any Gentile that was standing or abiding in the tree of God is there by faith alone and not by works or merits. And if Gentiles are unbelieving, they will be cut off just as much as an unbelieving Jewish or Israel was. See, you're abiding in the tree of God by belief. You believe, you continue to believe, you're grafted in. You're, 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 the, the root supports. There'll be life. There'll be fruitfulness. But if you choose to unbelieve, you choose, I do not believe in Jesus Christ, then you will be cut off. You will not continue to be grafted to that tree. That's the warning that Paul is saying to the, to the Gentiles right here. In verse 22, he says, Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Are we to continue in his goodness? Yes. If you don't continue in his goodness and you don't choose to believe, be worried. That's what Paul's saying here. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Verse 23, and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off, cut out of the olive tree, which is, a, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are the natural branches, Israel, be grafted into their own olive tree? Paul stresses the need to continue in his goodness here. Not in a sense of a salvation by works, but continuing in God's grace and goodness to us. That a relationship of continual abiding. Our salvation, our future eternity is all about our relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's a relationship. And that continued relationship. The idea of a continual abiding in the tree is also expressed. Go back today and read chapter, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. But also look at the language here. This continual clause in this verse, if you continue in his goodness, is a reminder that there is no security in the bond of the gospel apart from perseverance. We must persevere. Israel, part of Israel or the majority of Israel was cut off because of their unbelief. But he says right here, Paul says, but they can be grafted in. It's not too late. If they're alive, it's not too late. And if they do not continue their unbelief, they must come to a belief in Jesus. Now, in verse 25, he goes in here, Paul talks about the eventual restoration of Israel here. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. So he's kind of summarizing now. Everything he's been right up to verse 24, now he's going to summarize and put in a nice little bow and package for you and I and for them to understand. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness is in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of, of Sion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So now we see the fourth evidence that God has not cast away his people and he uses God himself as the witness of what he's going to do with Israel. He says, Paul warns to us that we should not be wise in our own opinion. We're not to lean on our own understanding. Because many times leaning on our own understanding will mislead us, right? We want to lean in our opinions based on what God says in his word. 
But Paul reminds us how important it is not to be wise in our own opinion, should remind us that to take what he says here seriously, Christians must not be ignorant of this mystery, he says. Don't like act like you don't understand this because it's very clear in the scriptures what it's saying. But Paul now summarizes a point from Romans here that says God's purpose is allowing hardening in part to come upon Israel until when? Why would God hold and kind of allow the, the darkness, the blindness to stay with these Israels, to have a hardness about them in regards to toward this, uh, the Savior Jesus? Why would God allow that to happen? Well, we see right here, it's till the fullness of the Gentiles had, uh, can come in. So the, he's basically saying Israel's hardness is temporary. That God's sovereignty knows that he's just going to hold them here and, and keep them in the state they're in so that you and I as Gentiles will as many as possible, what he refers to as fullness of the Gentiles, will come to a belief. There is a time it's going to come that when you go out as we go out and share the good news with everybody in this world, there's going to be one last person, that one last Gentile, that will give their life to Jesus Christ after they heard the truth and finally will click and say, yes, today I want to give my life to Christ. And at that moment, the fullness of, of those Gentiles who've come to Christ will be full and immediately the rapture will take place and God will take his children out of this world in the twinkling of an eye. That is when he will then come back to Israel through the great tribulation of seven years, tribulation, and reveal and take the darkness off, the hardness will be lifted so that they as a nation can come to the Savior, Jesus Christ. They will see him clearly. So God still has a purpose and a plan for the people of Israel and bring them to salvation. This simple passage makes it very clear for us how important Israel is. Those who are for Israel, we see, God is for them. When a nation goes against Israel, God will go against you as a nation. So even as a nation, we're so important for us as a nation to be for Israel and not against Israel. Because as soon as you go against his people, you're going against God Almighty. And that is why it's important we choose wisely in our, our elected officials and make sure they are for Israel. Because you do not want to go against God either. Because that nation's going down. Ask any other nation who's been against Israel. And look at the future prophecies of what will happen when the nations come against Israel. God will literally wipe them out. And so that's why we keep an eye and understand. We are reminded of the enduring character of the promises made to a nation and ethnic Israel. Go back to Genesis 13, 15 and Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8. Because God's not finished with Israel. All Israel, that nation of Israel, will be revealed. Jesus Christ is the Messiah to them. They will see it and they will believe. Now in verse 28, Paul continues says, Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. See, even though it seems that Paul's generation of Jews were enemies of God and were against the person and work of Jesus Christ, they were still beloved by God himself. He still loved them. And it's true for us. Those today, if you're a Gentile or anybody who, who's, who's not, uh, not saved, you might be an enemy of God because you don't want nothing to do with God. But that does not mean, doesn't mean he still doesn't love you. He still loves you. He still wants to have a relationship with you. 
regardless of what you've done, how wicked and dark things you've done and how you've rejected God, he still loves you, just like Israel. Even though they were rejecting him, they're still beloved to God. There's still a possibility. There's still hope. And the fact that in verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, this is another reason why God hasn't given up on the nation and ethnic, ethnic nation of Israel. Paul comforts them. He comforts us beyond uh, even the nation of Israel. It means that God will not give up on us, and he leaves a path to restoration open. There is a path for anyone that is lost today to be found. To be blind can once again be to be able to be see, to see. Once in darkness can actually come to light and have a hope and a promise in the future. God is not, it's not too late for you. Verse 30, for as you were once disobedient to God, yet have not obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed to them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. So Paul cautions the Gentile Christians to remember where they came from, where God has promised to take the Jewish people. The Gentile Christians came from disobedience. Israel is, is in disobedience. God brought you out of disobedience. He'll bring Israel out of disobedience. There is a hope and a promise here. And it's because of God's mercy. You don't deserve it. You and I didn't deserve God's mercy. But he showed mercy. We don't deserve grace, but he still offers you his grace. And he'll do the same through, for Israel. And we finish up here. Oh, the depth of the riches of both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has given first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, through him, and to him are all things. And to whom be glory forever. Amen, as someone would say. Amen, amen. He's basically saying, think of the depths of the truths that God shares with you and I. Think of the wisdom and the knowledge that comes from God. Look at how much is available to you and I, and as he speaks to us, how to live a life that's pleasing to him. Who are we, as Paul says, who has known the mind of God? How, why do you think your mind is bigger than God or equal to God? It's, that's foolish. He also says, who has become his counselor? Who are you and I to sit there and go, okay, God, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to talk to you right now, and I'm going to tell you what you're going to do in my life. Who are you and I to tell him what he has planned for you? You think you're wiser than God? You think right here you have more wisdom and knowledge of God that you can dictate to the, the, the creation, the creator of the universe, how you are going to live? We've all done it, have we not? How has that worked out for you? Has it worked out to exactly to your plan? It won't. That is why he Paul kind of brings it to the end and says, okay, let's come back and be really real here, people. Put your whole trust in your life in God. Follow him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because his wisdom and his knowledge is just going to be a tremendous blessing to you. You'll have a life that you never thought you would ever have. It's going to be good. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. If you would just trust him. Because you can't counsel him. You're not, you don't have a mind like him. His ways are not your ways. Your ways are not going to be his ways, the scripture says. You're not going to be able to pay him back, verse 35. 
He's, he's first given to him. He's given Jesus Christ to you. You can't pay him back. Everything that you see and everything you experience, everything is through him and in him and all, everything. He is to be glorified. That's why we worship. That's why we only worship him. We don't worship the world. We don't worship ourselves. We don't worship the false gods that are out there. He is the true and living God that we are to worship. Because God chose Israel sovereignly. We don't know why he chose the Jews as being his people. To start with him first. Why? I don't know. It doesn't say in the scripture. But he has a sovereign reason why. And he deals with them fairly and rightly. And he will all the way to the very end. God's future for Israel is the fact that he promises he will not give up on them eternally. And he also gives us that same promise. He will not give up on you. To eternity. Is that a wonderful promise for you and I? If you find yourself today walking and stumbling in darkness, confused, uncertain, anxiety-filled, there's a very simple answer for you if you want that peace and that love. Just come to him. Lay it all at his feet and surrender it all, your whole life. He will give you life there. He will fill you afresh with peace that beyond your own understanding. And he will take you all the way into eternity. And doesn't that give you hope where you did not have hope? A plan that you may not have a plan? And a joy that you may not have a joy right now? Paul was making it so clear that God is not done with Israel. And he's not done with you and I either. He's faithful. Let us pray.